When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. It is nearly over. January 31st. We will soon be into February and the longest month of the year, certainly feels like the longest month of the year, shall be in the rearview mirror. Coming up today, 40 years ago, Anne Lovett was found with her baby son at a grotto in Granard. You'll hear from one of her friends, her childhood friends, as she looks back four decades later. The leash makeup artist who has taken London by storm. Also, the Green Party ministers racking up 11 tonnes of carbon emissions for St. Patrick's Day. And is it true that playing music through your life could help stave off Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia? You'll hear from the researcher who believes it is true. That's at half past 11. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Who else? Front of the Irish Times will start. Very colourful image. A dance-off for the St. Patrick's Festival launch in Dublin. Uh, five-year-old, six-year-old and seven-year-old girls from the Arkans Stage Academy looking very pleased with themselves. As well they should, being on the front of the paper of record. The main story, though, Varadkar and Sunak clash over Legacy Act in Stormont Call. So usually when the Taoiseach and his opposite number in Downing Street have a call, even if there's a little bit of tension, they don't generally leak it out to the press. They certainly don't, at a press conference, imply that anything went wrong, unless it really went wrong. So, apparently, there was some disagreement over the Irish government taking a legal action to Europe against the UK over British legislation which will allow immunity to perpetrators of trouble-era crimes. And Mr Sunak said he expressed the British government's disappointment that the Irish state would take such a case. Hmm. Also, it says on the front of the Irish Times, government to charter aircraft for deportations. There's been a certain media offensive over the last week, story after story after story from different arms of the government to portray a get-tough image on asylum seekers. Yesterday, it was the narrowing of the list of safe countries. Today, it's that Gorthy will be taking a more active approach in enforcing deportation orders and now this story as well about aircraft being chartered to bring some of these people back to countries that are deemed safe. And again, that's the distinction, I suppose. If you're coming from, and it tends to be very often parts of Africa where maybe there's a dictatorship or there's a local warlord who has it out for your family, then there's a perhaps a legitimate case. There's persecution there's a threat to life and the asylum will probably be granted. Whereas if you're coming from, let's say, Georgia, 
or any other safe country on the list? Is there really a threat to your life? Do you really have a case for asylum? It's much harder to prove. But uh, as well, you've heard the likes of Padre Tobin of Aintu saying we have, in effect, a voluntary deportation system. Even if you are refused asylum, do we actively try to move you out? Apparently not, he says. Moving on to the Irish Daily Star. Ireland job furore. No role model for boys in green, it says. So a former TD wants the FAI to reject out of hand any application by Neil Lennon, the former Celtic coach for the Ireland job. Because apparently he once made knife threats to his then mistress, Ruth Coppinger, has urged Minister Jack Chambers to object if Mr Lennon were to be offered the role. Would he be in the frame? Would he be one of the people on your list to take over? Families face €600 euro hike in the cost of health cover. That's the main story on the Irish Independent this morning. The VHI announcing yet another. If you're having a sense of deja vu, no, this is another increase in their premiums. So it's going to increase for a single individual um, €600 euro for a couple €900. Euro the combined impact of their third premium hike in less than a year. So this occasion, it's a 7% increase, applying to 1.2 million VHI customers. Let's get away from the front pages. The front pages have no good news at all here. Let's see. This is a lovely story, actually. And it's in the Irish Independent this morning. Two sisters in Donegal. And their combined age is 199. So, Greta and Mary, uh, 103 and 96, respectively. And Mary is celebrating her birthday. And she recalls taking over the family's bankrupt shop on the north coast of Donegal back in 1939. Her mother had just died and... Mary was only 18 at the time. The banks would not give her a penny. And she recalls Eamon de Valera in 1944 introduced free shoes. And she says that was a godsend because it helped her to balance the books. And she tells a story then of Greta going away to Dublin to learn fashion. And so she brought back fashion magazines and she brought back all sorts of clothes and the shop became a little attraction in North Donegal. But they also had the fishermen coming in from Tory Island and the fishermen would be sent to buy not just the groceries but also the undies for the wife. And they would be very colourful in how they would describe asking for the underwear. They would come in and say, we want Narudi August Narudi Ella. And also, if they were asked about what size, they would look Mary up and down and they'd say, Kusu Latfein. In other words, the same as yourself. So, lovely memories shared by both Greta and Mary, 103 and 96 years young. Irish independent for that story. Not so pleasant memories, however, covered in all of today's papers from Granard in County Longford, St Mary's Church, the grotto just behind it. Deserted and silent most of the time. 
a very weather-worn Marian statue looking ahead towards the church, but it was on a cold January such as this when Anne Lovett, only 15 years of age, was found lying on her back and bloodied, and three schoolboys called for help, and she subsequently died hours later in Mullingar Hospital due to shock and postpartum haemorrhage and exposure. And it was... A turning point, I think, in the debate at the time about uh, family planning and all of the rights that would eventually flow from that. But when the reporter Fiacra Gallagher from the Irish Times went around Granard yesterday, nobody really wanted to talk about it. They were taking the view that it's time for Anne Lovett to lie in peace. It has gone on for too long, 40 years. Let her family, let her rest in peace. Peace and those sentiments were echoed by quite a lot of people in the town yesterday. Operation Transformation. You may have noticed Aoife Hearn, the dietitian, is not on it this year. And we had heard there was some falling out, but the detail is in the Irish Independent this morning. Aoife believes that weight loss drugs should be prescribed to some people who have obesity, and obesity is a disease. And the producers of the show obviously disagreed. And she says, follow the science. January 2023 was the first time that obesity medication was available. It was really the first time we had access to other options. And I thought we should tell the leaders about these options so they could discuss them with their own GP. And so when we became misaligned last January, that's a nice term, misaligned, uh, when we disagreed, in other words, then I had to make the difficult decision to leave. Now, her background is in nutrition and exercise science. She's a lecturer at the Southeast Technological University. She knows her stuff. And with the greatest of respect to the producers of Operation Transformation, I suppose, they are looking to produce a programme that amounts to compelling television. So having people take the drug probably isn't going to make as compelling viewing as watching them go through the uh, eat less and move more type of scenario. Then again, you could argue, and, and I imagine many would, that taking a drug in isolation shouldn't be just a cheat code. It should be in tandem with improving your overall health, improving your diet, and that if you become sedentary, you are going to have problems later on in life, regardless of whether you take the drug or not. So I think it's a combined message. There's always a middle ground in these things. And sometimes, especially in this day and age, we end up solely in one camp or the other, black or white, no room for grey. The Irish Independent has gotten the calculator out this morning because the government ministers yesterday agreed on their itineraries for St. Patrick's Day. And the Green Party has raised eyebrows in particular because its team will rack up 11 tonnes of carbon emissions for trips to Brazil, the United States, the Far East and various other locations. And the Independent says that is the equivalent of a year's worth of emissions by two average family cars. And they're going to do it all in the space of a weekend or so. So it's... Probably headlined by Eamon Ryan, the party leader and the Minister for the Environment, travelling to Brazil between the 13th and 17th of March. He will visit the cities of Brasilia and Sao Paulo. 
and he will rack up 2.37 tonnes of emissions, whatever that looks like. But locally, of course, the interest will be on the junior minister for land use, Pippa Hackett. She travels to Finland, Estonia and Latvia, and that will amount to almost a tonne of carbon. So says the Irish Independent, if you wish to read more. Little bit of good news if you've been feeling the pinch of the mortgage interest rates. A new scheme announced in last October's budget comes into effect today and you will be able to claim a credit of €1,250 Euro, or up to that amount through the Revenue My Account service. You will have to have evidence of paying mortgage interest from 2022 and 2023 and you will have to confirm your mortgage balance as of the 31st of December 2022. But once you have all the paperwork in place, it's a little bit of tax back, and at the same time, fill out the Med 1 and make maybe the flat rate expenses claim and whatever else you can get your hands on. It's your money, you've paid it over to the taxman, don't give them a cent more than you have to. Now... Some other stories very, very quickly. Kieran Malouli has written a piece for the Journal.ie, the former RTE Midlands correspondent, reacting to this week's list of the top ten payments to presenters at the National Broadcaster. And he worked, Kieran did, for over 25 years with RTE. And he describes how they would listen in to the company meetings via radio links from Donnybrook. And they would be in the Athlone studio listening bemused to be told that somebody had to be paid hundreds of thousands of euro. That's what the market would dictate. And he says, there was nobody in our regional studio building in Athlone ever paid anywhere near a hundred thousand euro a year to work in RTE. And under the headline, Will Things Change? He doesn't believe so, really. Um, he recalls receiving a text from a colleague saying, or a former colleague, that her blood was starting to boil. Younger people were being paid by agencies to act in roles such as runners for the organisation. They were working, hand in glove with the big stars, but they were being paid little more than minimum wage. He says RTE is a great place to work, despite everything that has happened over the last summer. The documentaries, for instance, are of the highest quality and we need the station's independence more than ever before. But he also talks about new contracts for the top having to reflect a much wider trawl for efficiency in the management of the place or else there will be worse to come. Now, we leave it there. Um, two other stories, actually, very, very quickly. If you are an Adele fan, she's going to announce a huge European residency today. Keep an ear for that. It's believed to be in Munich in Germany. So a little bit shorter tri trip than to Las Vegas, to Caesar's Palace. And also, Gino Kenny, the people before Profit TD, will bring forward a bill today which would decriminalise cannabis in quantities of up to seven grams. So in other words, for personal use, you would be decriminalised. You wouldn't get a criminal record if you were caught with that amount. But the Irish examiner says, even though he's bringing it forward, the government will probably kick the can on the issue for about nine months. So don't get your hopes up if you're in favour of that proposal.
Weather-wise, again, mixed weather for today. Some bright spells, band of rain moving in, though, by early afternoon. And if you're travelling to the west, Galway, Mayo, Sligo, Leitrim and Donegal will be under a yellow wind warning for much of this morning. But otherwise, fairly uneventful. And tomorrow, dry, cool, hazy sunshine, a little bit cloudy in the afternoon. But otherwise, far better than we had this time last week. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103 January 31st, 1984. Anne Lovett was found in a grotto in Granard in County Longford. Her little baby boy beside her and unfortunately he had been born stillborn. And Anne was bloodied and in need of hospital attention, and unfortunately, hours later, died in Mullingar. And this came just four months after a very divisive abortion referendum here in Ireland, and it ignited further public debate on that and indeed many other issues in the decades since. Sharon Keohan is a senator and was a childhood friend of Anne Lovett, Sharon, you're very welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. What are your memories of Anne? Oh my gosh, Anne. Um, I would have, when I say a childhood, I was a childhood because they lived in, I'm originally from a place called Cross Keys, which is quite near Ballygym stuff. So they lived there for some time um, in primary school. And I think she spent her last year in primary school in the St. Clair's uh, primary school and Ballygym stuff and then we were in first year together so Anne Anne was a very bubbly friendly fearless and um, confident I was almost jealous of her really mm. she had everything that I hadn't as, as a teenager um, uh, people wanted to be around her um, she, just, she was a very kind human being. So, did you stay close up until the end or did you drink? No, well, back to 40 years ago, there was no internet. I mean, it was all letter writing and uh, back then there was nothing, the phones were really, not really heard of uh, mm. 40 years ago in, in, in my part of Ireland, anyhow. Um, so, no, we didn't, we didn't stay in touch. Some of the class, some of my class did, they had contact with her, but it might have been just by letter. Um, but a lot of them would have not seen her from first year until we got that um, the, the, the word on the, mor- yeah. on the, on the morning after uh, it happened. And do you uh, recall how Bannard. you found out, Sharon? Well, I, 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 I recall I was talking to my friends over the last number of days and we talk, we talk about Anne very, very re- regularly. Um, I remember being in French in Miss Sutriscoe's class when uh, Sister Patricia Rogers, the, the principal at the time, came in and told us. Um, I think we were all in shock. Mm. Nobody knew the circumstances um, at at that time, um, and we were just we were just we were just in shock that one of our friends, so young, had passed away. There was no mention of a baby at that stage. We hadn't, you know, figured out what had happened, and it was only in the subsequent days that word had gone around that uh, that she had been found in the grotto with our baby. 
Now, in 2024, there would be uh, psychological services brought into the school, support for any people who knew her. Was there any form of support for nothing, her friends? Nothing. No, well, I mean, not in our, in our school, anyhow, there wasn't. I mean, I remember at the, at the time, I think two people were picked to go to the funeral. Um, I can't remember how they were picked, but I, I remember a, a number of us actually mitching school, which is a terrible thing to say, that I did 40 years ago, and hitching a lift to Granner to her funeral on the morning. Now, I didn't even remember that detail until about 10, 15 years ago when um, one of the girls that was with me said, oh, Sharon, you were with us. I actually have blocked it out of my, wow. my memory. Wow. You know, so it was a very, it was a, you can imagine the trauma that we felt and we hadn't seen her for a long time. But you can also imagine the trauma that her friends in Granard would have felt and her community, her family. And that has lived with them ever since. And, you know, for me, all I want today to be a day of healing, a day of letting Anne and her baby go, and also Patricia, who lost her life a couple of months later, her sister. Mm. So there's a lot of pain and hurt um, for the last 40 years among all of those communities involved. And today, I want today to be a day of healing for the people. And let's remember Anne for the person that she was, let our memory go in peace um, and and that of Patricia's too. Um, but I just, I, I just, I was very angry after years, many years afterwards, stories being brought up about Anne and things being said about Anne and the media weren't very kind to her. That was just something that I remember. Now, what, what they actually said, I actually couldn't remember, but I just remember having not a very nice image of the media um, as a teenager because of the things that it said about Anne. Well, I don't personally recall, but I recall reading how Gay Byrne on the Late Late Show... Uh, I remember that. ...when looking at the papers had called out the headline... Dismissed it. ...Girl 15 dies giving birth in field and then saying nothing terribly exciting there and dumped the paper I on know. the floor. I know. But, and, that, uh, and that's I mean, not to judge. That's, that was the prevailing attitude. I know, I that's at the, the time. time. And you've got, to, you've got to remember the time that we lived in. You've got to remember that too. I mean, it's 40 years ago. You know, very little um, sex education. Um, no internet. No internet. You know, people didn't talk about, about sex back then. People didn't talk about uh, intercourse back then, about relationships back then. It just wasn't done in, in my day, in, in 40 years ago. It just wasn't done. Today, it's so different. You know, children are taught at a young age um, about pregnancy, about reproductive rights, about contraception. So there's a lot of more information out there today. Could it still happen today? Possibly could. Mm. You know, but, well, that's, you know... That's the policy, again, to put on the political hat, I suppose. That's the challenge and society as well to absolutely. ensure that... There is a more open environment where a girl of that age would not feel so isolated that she couldn't Absolutely. share her experience and turn to somebody. Absolutely. And I think that has to be the message as well, that, you know, any girl that is in, there's so much help out there today. Because, um, you know, I know, uh, I mean, I, the Anne that I know would have met a fantastic mother. She would have gone on to do, to do great, great things in life. 
um, she was one of these people that you you knew that she was going to do something great in life. If you picked somebody out of a class, you would say Anne, Anne would have made, made it in the world. And uh, I know she would have been a fantastic mother. And whatever happened that day, we will never know because we will never know what happened to, to led that moment up to where she ended up in that grotto. We don't know. I mean, can you imagine the fear that she had? You know, God love her at that age, 15 years of age. Maybe her waters broke. Maybe she started bleeding. Maybe she get, sort of got, got, she didn't know where to go. She could have knocked on some door. Somebody might not have answered. And she just thought, where can I go? And that was where maybe she lay down. It's really hard to know what led to that moment. Um, but it was an awful tragedy. And, and, it's, and it's not a reflection of, of the people around. It was just an awful tragedy that happened. And I think it's time and I want this to be the time for Anne to be to rest in peace, for her baby to rest in peace, for Granner to rest in peace. Because, you know, I know I know people from 40 years ago and I know that they would do anything to help other people in communities. Because that's what, that's what tight-knit communities do. They do help each other out in times of need. And the people of Granard would be no different. You know, if, and I think that sentiment timing, is captured. If the, and if the timing had to be right, better... You know, today we, uh, and that child could be alive and Anne could be alive. You know, it's just one of those tragedies that happened in the history of the state. I will never forget it. And anyone that was in school with Anne, whether it be in Granard or whether it be in, in primary school or in secondary school in, in Ballygym, we'll never forget Anne. She, she will stay in our memory to the day, to the day we die. And uh, I just... I just want I just want her to rest rest in peace. Yeah. I don't want her to be used for any political gains in the future. I I don't want that because I don't think Anne would have wanted that. Um, I think it's just time. I think it's time for time to let you know the healing, the hurt, to let it go. That echoes a sentiment captured in the Irish Times this morning. There was a reporter in Granard yesterday who encountered many people yeah. who said the very same thing, just to let her rest, let her legacy mm. rest, um, yes. and for the town to move on. And it is a different town and it is a different country than it was yes. in 1984. Sharon, grateful for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Will. Thank you. Sharon Keoghan is a senator and a childhood friend of Anne Lovett. It's just gone a quarter to ten. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. On text and WhatsApp, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Um, Will, something you might bring to drivers' attention. I was going through Mullingar this morning. The amount of people... Walking dogs with no high visibility jackets was unbelievable. So be careful. Yes, and it's quite a dull morning. So message to pedestrian, I think, as much as drivers. Drivers beware, but pedestrians just take that bit of time to grab a high vis on the way out the door. You never know, it could help. Not everybody goes to Specsavers, for instance. Now, I'm going to borrow James McInerney's own words to introduce him. When you are a queer Irish person with Tourette syndrome... Makeup can be a unique outlet for dealing with your circumstances. And so Makeup has brought him success at the Irish Beauty Awards, on the TV show Glow Up, and now with his own exhibition in London. James, you're very welcome to the programme. 
Hi, Will. How are you? Thank I'm you so much for having me. Good morning. Great having you on the programme and a uh, long time since we chatted before. I think uh, we had, in the aftermath of Glow Up, uh, caught up with you. Uh, we caught up with you last year for the Midlands 103 Customer Service Awards, where you were kindly one of our judges. Uh, but I'm getting the sense this may be your biggest project yet? <laughs> I can tell you with so much emphasis and stress, the amount of work, what I've learned in a very short space of time, this has definitely triumphed a lot that I've learned while being in this industry for the very short five or six years. And I'm very proud, but coming from Leash and landing this in London, it's been a huge take on just the first month of 2024. So... What do you put into a makeup exhibition? What's the attraction? What are the features? So this exhibition is being currently held in London at the Morley Gallery in Lambeth North. So it's just off central London by the London Eye. And it's sponsored by Mac Cosmetics. And I say this ex- exhibition is different to your standard gallery. And especially when you think about the conventional ways we try to think of what makeup means. This is promising to show it's a unique explanation of that intersection between makeup and art. And that's very much where my passion, the grow that I have for my type of makeup artistry like sits. And there's 17 looks in this gallery, the first gallery I've ever exhibition before. And I say it really will just unveil that kind of a different story of what it can mean and what the power of makeup can convey to just an observer. Um, It's definitely more than your smoky eye and red lip. And I think you take the model or the myself and self-portraits, the subject matter out of context, and you're literally seeing these works that I created over the last four to five year periods as art forms. And so much goes into creating that, like the lighting, the color technique, the concepts that I worked on throughout the lockdowns in Abbey Leaks and County Leash. And that is just been surreal to see people's unique reactions to these works. And is it a general audience event or is it more for people within the industry who will, I suppose, appreciate more fully everything that goes into it? This gallery launch and the exhibition has been for everybody. Um, currently, it's showcasing in the Morley Gallery and it's free of charge. It's entry for all. It runs for two more days. Uh, the final day is tomorrow, Thursday, the 1st of February. And it is for everyone. And I have had all walks of life come through the door Um, who would have the least knowledge of makeup. And then I have professional industries and people that have been my pillars of inspiration come through acknowledging the work and seeing it almost for the first time. A lot of it was work that I did create, as I said, post-glow up in Ireland. I was sharing it online. There's a certain distance between when someone likes something and it goes viral and comments. It obviously is validating. And I think, wow, a lot of people, this must be getting reach. Something has to be said for the experience I've gone through in the last week to see people in person viewing the work mm. and a physical reaction. It's like this is a renaissance of these all this bucket of work that I did four or five years ago and now it's having its own spotlight literally for a whole new group of people. You've worked with many celebrities over the years and Ava Longoria perhaps being one of the headline names. Any famous faces pass through your exhibition? Um, I have had some great family notes coming in. I know that um, people will be quite familiar that my cousin is Ashleen B, comedian and Irish actress, and she's going to be coming by with family tomorrow. I've had amazing makeup designers that have been the head designers of Barbie, 
uh, Pinocchio, The Life of Pi. You know, these are industry-led artists that I've worked with when I started out as a trainee in the TV film industry before I kind of took the ropes myself to create my own vision and just stamp on the industry. So it's brought a lot of people together from so many different corners of all spheres of media and makeup. And, you know, I just want to make a note, Will, that this exhibition as a whole really does pay homage to my family, the extended queer family that I've made in Ireland and the UK and further afield mm. and the LGBTI, the LGBTQI plus community and close friends whose, frankly, belief and support have been my pillars, which that is a foundation on which I continue to build because this gallery, I never imagined this to be something that would happen off the grounds of setting myself up as a makeup artist initially. And James, if we can separate the personal milestone and all of the expression that goes with it and, and the pride and the solidarity with others. But just looking at this from a career standpoint, what doors does it open to have created and pulled off so well your own exhibition in London? I am still, quite frankly, well registering it. It has been like a fever dream. <laughs> and this was only proposed to me back in August last year with a lot of the production work happening over Christmas while I was away and really gaining speed in the last two weeks. So I am registering it, quite honestly, if I've been really just telling the truth. I know it is like an, a visual active calling card for creating a lot of opportunities. We had a masterclass with Mac Cosmetics on the launch day of the gallery last Wednesday and it's the first time I've had a masterclass where it was sold out up to 50 people that I guess have came on their own will to come and support me and see what it is I know within the industry to teach and give back. So I know I'm passionate about training. I know I'm passionate about sharing my story, living with Tourette's as well, and just inspiring people. And for me in my industry, the power of makeup, what that can do, if I could bring that around the world, quite frankly, be it masterclasses, be it training, maybe my own makeup line, or showcasing my work in this unique way and other opportunities. I know we have the Dunamis Arts Centre is looking to invest in having this gallery maybe come at the later point of the summer ahead of Electric Picnic this year. And it would be hugely important to me to bring it home because that's where it all started. So there's a lot of doors to be opened with this. James, you are living proof that dreams come true. Thank you very much for taking our call this morning. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a lovely morning. You too. James McInerney from Abbey Leagues. Love the Midlands. Love Midlands. Now, still on the agenda today, how will the government respond to a string of small business closures across the Midlands this month? Junior Minister Peter Burke will be here after 11. Meet the professor who has found your way to a healthy brain in later life. And meet the DIY guy who proves brains don't really matter at all, actually. He's here in just over 10 minutes' time. When you call 0818 300 103, that's my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore on what is the 31st of January. The Mover, thank heavens, longest month of the year. Now, back to your comments on a wide range of it. Story earlier of how the government will be charged to deport unsuccessful asylums back to their countries of origin. Will asylum seekers in Africa and Asia often bypass Europe to come here directly, which says a lot about how soft our laws are, doesn't it, says Brian in Athlone. Some government people must never have studied geography at school before signing agreements, pure stupidity. 
Well, actually, on the matter of free travel across the European Union, that has been enshrined in various treaties that we as a people collectively voted for in referenda, or maybe voted again and again on in some cases. Will, Leo Varadkar should be given a one-way ticket to wherever he is going on St. Patrick's Day. Not a fan of these junkets, says a caller, and you will hear quite a lot in the run-up to St. Patrick's Day about where they are going. And do we hear enough afterwards about whether it was worthwhile and what benefit you and I and every other taxpayer achieved from it? They say they're important trade missions. They would say that. Paul in Tullamore says, I remember once upon a time knowing Fiona Pender. We were only 12 years of age and she was only a young girl at the time. And um, I recall the attitudes at that time. You really didn't know what you were doing. And in the case of Anne Lovett, she would have been very, very isolated. Well, as far as weight loss drugs are concerned and the dietitian's decision to leave Operation Transformation, I think taking drugs for weight loss is brainless. If we were in a country where there wasn't enough food, we wouldn't be long about losing weight. There is so much food waste here. It is horrendous, says this caller. I think the difference is in poorer countries, the food you get is very transparent in what it contains. Rice and other very simple, basic carbohydrates. Whereas in a modern Western country, when you eat and you look at the packaging, you realise, hang on, there's more sugar in here than I ever expected. There's more fat in here than I ever expected. The whole system is rigged to go against you. And unless you're very careful, it's easy to put on weight, especially if you're of a certain constitution type. Mark in County Leash says, chartering aircraft for deportations at a cost to the taxpayer. This is a poor political decision, he says, to have allowed so many arrive in the country in the first place. Would it be a surprise to listeners that if people were to be deported in the past, many of them had to self-deport? How is that a realistic expectation? Again, poor decision-making. As I said earlier, Padre Tobin of Aintu has effectively described our deportation system as a voluntary one. But the stories coming out in the last week or so from government trying to project a much stronger image, narrowing the list of safe countries. Today's story about Gore taking a more active role in enforcing deportation orders and the story on the front of the Irish Times today about chartering flights back to countries of origin. Anyway, more on that again and again and again. It's the political story that isn't going away. Unfortunately for us, the story that doesn't go away is the cost of living and insurance, particularly health insurance, going to become more expensive after the VHI announced yet another, don't adjust your radio, we're not in a time warp, yet another increase yesterday, amounting to 7%. Charlie Weston has the story in the Irish Independent this morning where he is the personal finance editor. Morning, Charlie. Good morning, Will. So how many increases in quick succession are we up to now for the VHI? 
We are up to three in the last just over a year, uh, Will. It's extraordinary. Nobody, I think we were surprised yesterday that they came out so soon after the last one, which was only last October, with a 7% increase, which is a hefty increase. And it's you know on the back of a 7% increase in October. Uh, and then last March, there was 48 you know, they're averages, Will, and they're very deceptive. As you know, averages don't often tell us the true story. Um, the, the um, you know, there's in many cases now some of the some of the uh, some of the plans are going up by far more. Uh, also, um, it's the case that you know the cumulus impact is huge. You're talking up up to nineteen percent here. Nineteen <laughs> percent. I'm not. You're not mishearing the radio. It's absolutely extraordinary stuff. You're talking about a couple, you know, retired people. You, t- they tended to always be on the old Plan B, Plan B mm, options. Mm. They now call that VHA call that Plan, sorry, Help Plan Extra. If a couple are on that plan, you're talking about an annual increase here to renew on that same plan of something like nine hundred euros. I mean, it's just absolutely extraordinary. You know, um, it, it, it'll price a lot of people out of, out, out of the. Uh, health insurance market they just won't be able to afford it you know uh, it's just extraordinary you know uh, and so, what's driving it what does the VHI blame for the decision they're saying there's a surge in claims particularly post-COVID like you know during COVID understandably people didn't have procedures carried out in private hospitals they held back they didn't want to go into a hospital no I personally had to go in and it was not a pleasant place to be because people weren't wearing masks and I was in a, you know, a ward with other people. Uh, you, you just don't want to be in hospital when, when there's a, a pandemic around. So people didn't. You know, if it was an elective, it was something that they could put off. They did put it off. But since COVID and it's over a while now, there's been an absolute jump, huge jump in people having procedures done. And VHR saying there's a 20% increase. Now, that should have been obvious for a while now. And, you know, that, that was the justification for last October's increase. So to come back to us again at the end of January and announce another increase for March the 1st um, using the same reason, it, I don't know, you know, a lot of people are scratching their heads going, this is extraordinary, you know, this is just really, really bad. Uh, you know, even the, the, the very reasonably priced uh, plans are, are, are going up quite a lot. Uh, you know, the, the smart people will, will, will buy these corporate plans, they're called, you know, they're designed for companies, but anybody can get one if you know what it's called. You take company plan plus, Level 1.3, now ugly, ugly name, but a very good plan. It's gone up by nearly 600 euros for a family, nearly mm. 600 euros, you know. And it's worse and, and than that. It's not just that. There are some, sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, you know, no, you've, you've hit on one of the points. Also... You've hit on a point about how difficult to navigate the market is because if you take a, a utility company, for instance, and you want to search for different electricity plans, you go on a price comparison website, you're comparing unit rates, you're comparing standard charges. It's it, it's easier to do and therefore probably people are far more active in jumping from one to another. Would I be right in suspecting there's a lot of inertia in the health insurance market? Absolutely enormous inertia. You know, you, you, I get people on to me saying, I've been with the PHI for 30 years and I'm saying to myself, really? And you on the same plan for a lot, for a lot of that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are bonkers if you're on the same plan with the same provider for years. You need to be moving around. There's 330 different plans out there. The smart thing to do is get out your plan details, set aside a, a half an hour, get a coffee, and ring up your insurer, your health insurer, and say, look, this is the plan I'm on. When I go to renew, I, I see this plan is going to be hugely more expensive. This is my budget. These are the benefits I want. Have you anything similar? 
uh, that's just less expensive and they will have because they have so many different plans and tell them you want them to include the corporate plans and remember these calls are recorded so they have to then go through your situation and they'll probably come up with something decent that will save you having to pay a huge extra amount to renew on that the plan you're on you know and and if they don't just just go to 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 the other providers go to Leia, go to Irish Life Health tell them what your budget is tell them what plan you're on with if it's VHI uh, tell them you know the, the sort of benefits that are important to you. You want a semi-private room or whatever it is, and just go through that process. It's a bit of time. It's 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 time-consuming. People don't want to do it, but the alternative is getting ripped off mightily uh, by having to pay uh, extra. So for God's sake, don't auto renew this time uh, more than ever. That that's true. Do not auto renew. You're going to get absolutely creamed. You know, uh, and 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 just to just quickly just to mention as well, will. Some of the benefits on these plans are being cut as well. I mean, the excess on some plans is the amount you have to pay before you can get before it's covered by your health insurer. Uh, some of the, some of the VHI um, excesses are going up, and they're cutting benefits on some plans as well. So you need to be very careful here. Um, you know, this is just extraordinary stuff uh, to be doing this to people in January, five months after a previous increase. So um, the, the 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 worry I would have, Will, is that people. Uh, most people would have renewed around Christmas, particularly in VHI, and they'll leave this sit now until next year, yeah. and then they'll get a renewal notice, and they'll, they'll be sending me texts. Did I know that my that health insurance for my family is going up by five, six hundred euros? As I was getting over Christmas, people were saying to me, "Did I know?" I've been writing about it continuously, but people don't are busy; they don't see this stuff. So don't just sit back now. You need to. This is what to be active on. I, I agree. Yeah, stick a stick a note in your your electronic diary in your phone, and so that you're you're on top of it when it comes to it. You know. One other matter, and I'm seeing a couple of comments on this. Is it time to push back in the public hospitals about what private health customers are getting? Uh, one caller says, in a Midlands regional hospital, when uh, I declared that I was a private health customer. I was moved from one ward with six beds into another ward with six beds. That was my so-called semi-private room. So the yeah, public ward has the exact same facilities as the private ward. Yeah, except that the the public hospital is able to charge your health insurer uh, for your treatment, even though you're probably getting the exact same yeah, treatment. Eight or nine hundred quid a day. Yeah, extraordinary stuff, you know, uh, and they're very quick to come around with somebody to come around to you with a form saying, are you, you know, have you got health insurance? Uh, if you're only getting public health treatment, like, you know, if you're just in, in a public ward, you don't have to sign that form. You know, people are not aware of that. Uh, you don't have to sign that form if you're just getting uh, the treatment you would get if, you, you know, if you've come in through uh, emergency or whatever, A&E. So, you know, be very careful about that. Um, Public hospitals have to make money and they're desperately trying to make money, but it's very unfair the way they, they single out people with health insurance and uh, charge their health insurers. And, uh, and oftentimes they're not getting anything extra. They're not getting a private room. They're not getting fast access to a consultant or whatever. You know, None of this is fair. Of course, it's not fair if you can afford health insurance and if it works for you, you get fast access. But if you're not getting any of that, why mm. why why is your health insurer being charged for it? You know? Yes, and given the premiums now, I have a feeling people will be pushing back more than ever. Charlie, as ever, thank you for your time. You're welcome, Will. Thank you. Charlie Weston is personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. It's 21 minutes after 10. 
Brian Clonan is here to help on DIY in just a moment. What would you like to ask him? And now, with thanks to Bright ID New at Loan, building or renovating, they work huge a great a bespoke plan for your home. Brightideas.ie. Joining us now on this last day of January. Coming in here for free. Taking abuse with no fee. How does he put up with it? We'd love to find out. He's our DIY superhero of that there's no doubt. Ah, Brian Clunan. Yes, yeah, the superhero who dresses as Wonder Woman. Yeah, I slipped him. I slipped him twenty there a while ago, and he's he's saying very nice things about me. Did you notice that in the last while? Yes, I need to up my bribe. In other words, <laughs> how is the form? Good, thank you. Good. You're looking awful. <laughs> and I can say the very same to you. Good, good. Wouldn't have it any other way. People will be talking. Let's start with a question from Alan in Athlone, who says, Our main cooker is a gas cooker, but this morning it's not working. So no porridge for Alan this morning. The cylinder feels full, but there's no gas coming in. Does Brian know if gas can freeze, maybe? Yeah. Now, I wonder if it was cold enough this morning. Yes, gas can freeze. Um, Sorry. Start again. No, gas can't freeze in Ireland. It doesn't get cold enough. But what can happen is, if you have a gas cylinder outside, you should always cover the cylinder itself and the regulator, the regulator being the important bit. Because sometimes what happens is water can get in with rain. We, you, you probably know we get a nice bit of rain in Ireland. Had noticed. And uh, if you get rain followed by frost, what can happen is the rain in gets into the regulator and can freeze in the regulator, which stops it working. So it's not that the gas is freezing. It's just that the gas can't pass through a frozen regulator. That's really what it amounts to. So they always recommend, and it can be a simple, I remember one time being in a place and, it, and a guy had a bucket over his, re, I was delivering gas to him, and he had a bucket over the top of the regulator. And I said, that's a great idea. You know, people should do that. And he says, that bucket is there 27 years because he'd moved into the house 27 years ago and threw it over the top of the cylinder as a temporary solution until he, you know, the mm, things we mm, all do. Mm. You know, he threw this bucket over and you could see it. The bucket was, or I'd say, originally dark green and was now almost white. But 27 years, it's doing the job and, you know, it's fine. So you should always cover your gas cylinders outside just to stop that from happening. That's the most likely thing. Now, it could be that the regulator, if it's there a long time, has become faulty. So um, if you find that when everything thaws out, which it should be by now, it's still not working, then I'd say replace the regulator. Get the gas man in. Get the the, the approved gas installer to come in and do replace the regulator. The gas man. The gas man, yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, then moving on, next query, a oh, person having difficulty, you won't be able to help with this. I mentioned earlier about the mortgage interest relief and how you can claim via the My Account service. Helen says she logged on this morning and tried to find the section in the tax credits for mortgage interest relief. It's not there. We shall investigate and see, maybe somebody failed to update the software overnight, but um, certainly uh, check it out over the next couple of hours. It should be there. Now, our next question for Brian concerns woodworm. I recently brought, uh, bought a second-hand chest of drawers for a tenner. I mean, you can't go wrong for a tenner. Oh, right, yeah. Idea was to upcycle it, meaning 
Yeah, so they're good. Do it up. Do it up. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's obviously something. Why don't they say do it up? Why are we using all these trendy terms? <laughs> because Upcycle. it's trendy. Because it's trendy. You need to get with the programme. Anyway, they've noticed lots of small holes underneath the unit. And the concern is this is woodworm. And so before exposing everything else in the house to woodworm, how can they treat it? Yeah, so small holes would definitely indicate woodworm. Um, so what you do, I suppose, look, the easiest thing to do in this particular case would be to bring it out to the garage, the shed, and take out the drawers if if it's a chest of drawers, so there's definitely drawers in it. So take out the drawers and put them up on top of the um, chest of drawers and put something under the four legs, like four tins of paint. You, you, ideally, what you want to do is you want to raise all of this up off the ground. And the purpose of this being you're going to lift everything off the ground. You're going to put the drawers and all the loose pieces. If it was a piece of furniture with doors, you would t- either take off the doors, unscrew the doors and put them up on top or just leave them open. And then you're going to get a thing called a bug bomb, which is exactly what it says. It's a little thing that you, you actually light it and it gives out a vapour for three hours. Mm. So it's uh, not exactly what it says. Okay, it's not exactly what it says. Okay, it's a, what will you, let's come up with a different word. Bug bomb. Bug, bug vaporizer, but I don't know what it's called. What the best word to use? Um, it's a bit like the hairy molly to keep the gutters clean. You know, that's not the the correct term for it, but everyone calls them a hairy molly. Uh, this thing kills every insect in the area in which you light it. Now, in this particular case, to make it extra strong, I would make a tent, and the tent can be a bed sheet. It's as simple as that. You're trying to keep the vapor in as small an area as possible to make sure it's at its most concentrated. So out in the garage, tr- pile everything up on top of it. And if you feel there's anything else in the garage that might have woodworm, you know, it can be the shovel handle, it can be, you know, whatever. Mm. Put it all inside the tent and light this thing on the ground under it and leave it for about four hours. And every insect in there will be dead. Um, that's the easiest way to do it because it's the, probably the cheapest way to do it. It's certainly the easiest rather than buying the woodworm killer, which does work, but the woodworm killer, you have to brush every little bit of it on. And it's quite a strong smell. Um, and it's hard to get into the places that you needed to get into. Whereas the vapour created gets in everywhere. It gets into every nook and cranny, every joint, every split, because that's where they lay their eggs. They don't lay their eggs on a surface. They lay their eggs in a gap. So you're trying to get it in everywhere. Now, still on the agenda today, how will the government respond to a string of business closures across the Midlands, including up to 100 jobs, some report, at PPD in Athlone, although the research positions will remain. Junior Minister Peter Burke shall be here after 11. And an item that you won't be interested in, Brian, the professor who has found your way to a healthy brain in later life. Ooh, I certainly want that. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Samaritans are having a recruitment week from the 12th to 15th of February in counties Leash and Kildare. So they're looking for listening volunteers, in which case you'll get full training, mentoring and support. Check out Samaritans Ireland on Facebook for details. Anam Kara 
support parents after bereavement and hold their next Midlands meeting in the Mullingar Park Hotel on Wednesday the 14th of February, 7.15pm. And they would welcome any bereaved parent, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances of the loss. You don't have to register, you just go along on the evening. For details, see anamcara.ie. Creative writing workshops for children will be held on Sundays, starting this Sunday between 2 and 4 at 4 Bastion Street, Athlone. The course runs for six weeks for children aged 8 to 12 years for a fee of €90. Contact Niamh on 086 362 3971 and you can check out on Facebook Creative Writing for Children Athlone. And finally, for now, the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary will hold hen rescue runs at various locations on the 3rd of February. A full list of locations can be found on the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary Facebook page. Adoption fees will apply, and for current regulations, check out the Department of Agriculture website. Now, if I list uh, list anything out that's happening in your area... Call Marina on 0818 300 103. And if you want to check the details again, just go to midlands103.com and find the Community Diary. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormi Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie. DIY Dilemmas, sorted with Mr. Fixit. Thanks to Bright Ideas Lighting at Talbot Avenue Athlone. Building or renovating, we work with you to create a bespoke lighting plan for your home. Brightideas.ie. Charlie the Carpenter has been in touch. Good man, Charlie. Charlie says, spray drawers with WD-40. It will kill all of the woodworm in minutes. Leave it to dry off. Well... Haven't heard that before. No, I don't know what's in it that would kill the woodworm, but look, if it if it works, it's not, well, once it doesn't stain it. Mm. Um, okay, we'll have to check that one out. Yes, we will put. By it the way, the we test. had also we've you know we mentioned completely inadvertently we mentioned methylated spirits for keeping carol windscreens. You oh, you're not back on the meds. No, are you? but you. <laughs> I'm personally not back on the meds. We've had so many people in with all the different things they use it for. One lady was buying a bottle the other day for um, cold sores. And it's amazing. And then, wait till you hear this, another fella came in. So remember we had a lady who said she uses the three uh, cuts. We had a chap come in and he showed me his finger, which was a very deep cut right on the joint. And he said, you know what I use now? Do you know what I did to get that clean? And it was, I was waiting for the methylated spirits. Mm. He said... Two days ago, that was badly infected. And I remembered what my dad used to do. He gets the dog to lick it. <coughs> and he's absolutely adamant that the dog licked it and licked it and licked it and licked it. The following day, it was fine. And he tried to get the dog to lick it that night. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't lick it because the infection was gone, he reckons. Mm. So anybody out there with any opinion? I'm certainly not brave enough to try it, I have to tell you. Remember being told that either dogs or cats had antiseptic tongues. Don't know how true it is and don't remember whether it's a dog or a cat. Well, there is a difference. He showed me a picture of the, the thing and he was going, it was really badly infected. Mm. And the timeline was on the picture. And this was two days later and it looked a completely different wound. Speaking of which, would you like to see a picture of my pussy? There you go. Oh, I somebody told me you're calling it Clune and cat. Clune and cat because it's half bald. Yes. 
that's not nice. That's not. That's just. That's bullying. Am I? I'm in the bullying workplace. The cat. It's bullying in the workplace now. Bullying, bullying the cat. me. It's an insult to the cat, more so. <laughs> Poor thing. Apparently, he's over grooming. Is that what happened to you? Over no, over grooming was not my issue. Was not my issue. No. By the way, I'm told by Paul that the mortgage interest relief is up on the revenue website. You have to find the property tax section. That's where the relief is. It's not in the PAYE area. So maybe that's where ah. our earlier listener went wrong. Right. Column in Roscommon recently painted the bathroom ceiling. And a few days later, the paint started to lift on the side of the ceiling near the wall. And he's wondering why that would be. I presume, does he mean the outside wall? Probably. So it's it's probably just damp. It's If it's in the shower room and the shower is taking place, it's probably just damp. So you might remember in the past we would have recommended if you ever have a problem with paint peeling, flaking in a bathroom over a shower, we always suggest paint the ceiling with an acrylic eggshell. So basically you, you don't need to go in and ask for an acrylic eggshell. You can just say, I want a water-based satin paint. Mm. And when you buy a water-based satin paint, it will say for wood and metal. And your ceiling is neither. So, but the reason being, it's as tough as nails, but it's also effectively a, a, an emulsion paint. So the beauty of it is, it's just as easy to use as an emulsion paint. It's just as tough as the oil paint that you would normally put on your front door, your back door, your internal doors. So it's really good to use in the bathroom and you only need to buy a small tin. But do always remember, if the paint is flaked off, just paint the, the area that has been, that you, you have to sand off and scrape off all the loose paint. You don't have to take off every last bit of paint. In the area that's not affected, you don't have to scrape there. But you do need to scrape away all the paint that's loose and flaking. And you need to brush on the first coat to work it into the surface. And the first coat should be thinner than, than normal. So thin it out a little bit. And just on the area that is back to the plaster, brush on the first coat of thinned out acrylic eggshell. And then you can paint with full, full non-thinned out acrylic eggshell on the rest of it. Joe says he has just returned from three weeks in Spain. Ah, poor Joe. I'm not inclined to help him now. <laughs> well, he obviously has some sort of a problem if he's phoning us. He says, in brackets, by the way, sister has an apartment. So he's, right. trying he's, to trying, he's trying to justify it. He's trying to make it that we don't resent him for yeah, having three yeah. weeks in Spain. We Sorry, do. We do. We do. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah. Sorry, Joe, we definitely do. Anyway, the problem is when he returned, he discovered that a trip switch had tripped in his absence. Right. So there is... Rather a pungent smell coming from the fridge freezer. Now, he has washed it and he has washed it again and he has washed it again, but he still detects the smell. Yeah, oh, that's a horrible, horrible. Have you ever had it happen? No. No, thankfully. It's it's basically like putting your your lunch in a Tupperware container. Mm. And leaving it there for three weeks. That's awful for you, Joe. Anyway, (laughs) next question. (laughs) No sympathy for Mr. Faulkner. I wouldn't mind. He takes holidays, you know, seven times a year. And they're always really expensive resorts, let me tell you. Yeah, called Clumbaloke. 
So what you do is, in this case, is you get some warm water, so a good dollop of bread soda and a good dollop, a good long half a bottle of Milton, mix everything up together and work it in through the entire fridge, particularly let loads of it in into the bottom of the fridge. So there's a little drainage point at the bottom of the fridge, let it down into that and the same thing with the freezer. And then you work this, so get a rag, get a cloth and wash everywhere, but particularly the rubber seals. Those rubber seals hold a lot of bacteria if they're not washed. So wash it in there Mm. and then close the fridge freezer and turn everything up to the coldest setting for 24 hours, even though it might be empty. The coldest setting to, to, but that will, that'll get rid of the problem. So Milton and bread soda. Gotcha. Now this isn't any use for cloning cat, I'm afraid. (laughs) But if you're looking to pamper your pup, Stylish Mood DG wants you to win a deluxe pamper package, including ear and eye cleaning, bath and blow dry and chim, uh, trim even, to one, look, stop that, one lucky dog owner. So if you want your doggy to win this amazing prize, head to the Midlands 103 Facebook or Instagram and the winner shall be picked today. Again, with thanks to Stylish Mood DG because your dog deserves it. But what about your cat? That's the problem. Mr. Fix-It on Midlands 183 with Bright Ideas Lighting, Talbot Avenue Athlone. Official stockists of Laura Ashley Lighting and Mirrors. See our dedicated Laura Ashley Boutique in store. Brightideas.ie If you're married to Barry, and every Barry is now going to get in trouble because of this text, apparently he feels you could do with the dog grooming session rather than the dog. Who's me? Yeah, no, this is a text from Barry. Okay. You know, he's going to enter the competition. Right. And um, it's for his lady rather than for the dog. Ah, stop. So anybody who is married to a Barry, give him a slap when he gets home. <laughs> now, another caller says, you can tell Brian Clunan that a dog's lick certainly has healing qualities. I'm in my 70s. Well, no, I'm not saying this as, as a, just to be clear now, because I don't let the dogs, I have two dogs at home, I won't let them lick my face. Oh, no, you said I, it. You, you, you said it. You told the story. You published it. So therefore, go on, go on. you are to be sued. Anyway, I'm in my 70s, says the listener, and when I was growing up, our parents always used it for healing. However... Michaela says, oh, my God, Will and Brian, you should never let a dog lick your face. Never mind an open wound or a cut. Dogs' mouths are full of nasty bacteria that they can handle, but a human might not. Also, dogs lick poo. They lick their gentleman's sausage and other (laughs) nasty things. And they don't clean their mouths and teeth like humans do. And smell their breath. It's never nice. Speak for yourself. The dog's breath. Granny says, Mets were used by surgeons years and years ago as antiseptic because only the surgeons had access to Mets. It's great for spots and cold sores, but it can sting a bit. It certainly stings. I I, I was cleaning something with Mets the other day and I, I always have little cuts because I'm cutting keys and using tools and so on. And I'll tell you this much, I knew I had two cuts on my finger. I didn't even know they were there. And then I used the Mets uh, and realised, ouch, yes, two cuts there. Personal hate of mine, when people misspell Brian and call you brain instead. I always think it's a Freudian slip. Mm. I don't think it's, I think it's, it's, 
I don't think it's autocorrect. I think it's just a Freudian slip on people's behalf that they associate me with my massive brain. Well, this next question has an image of uh, vinyl on the floor that has been down for six years and it is raised near the dishwasher and sink. So the join is coming up. Any ideas how to fix it without laying new vinyl? And I've shown Brian the picture. There's uh, certainly a centimetre or so of a raise there. Yeah. So what I would do with that is I would get a tube of um, Stixol, Tech 7, Grip Bond. There's a million of them now. and But get one of the ones that are crystal clear. So they come in a tube like a silicone tube. Um, or there are various ones that are now available in squeezy tubes. So it depends on the on the length you need. Um, you can get a little squeezy tube. The reason I'm su- suggesting this in particular is that it will stick to a damp surface. It is crystal clear, and uh, it they all come with a fine nozzle. Now, if you wanted, if it was a very very fine gap, you could put some of it into a syringe and syringe it into the gap. But I think you'll find that um, it com- if you cut the nozzle nice and fine, you'll get it into that. So what you would do is go to either end of where it's lifting put in a screwdriver, lift it up to its maximum that you can do without doing any damage, squeeze in this, and then put a piece of flat timber, something rigid and solid that runs the length of the joint, and Mm. then put a heavy weight on it. So I'm not saying you should stand on it all night, but something heavy, a couple of tins of paint, something to keep the weight on while it sets. Okay, well done. From Ken. I got a new shower door in our ensuite a month ago. <laughs> but while having an extended sit on the toilet, <laughs> I noticed the guy who installed it has smeared silicone all around the edges of the glass. I have tried everything to clean it off, but nothing seems to work. Now, whenever I'm in the jacks, it's all I can see. Luckily, the wife hasn't noticed yet. That's because she doesn't take the extended, extended sit. sit. Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe the answer is just bring in your phone or bring in a book or a newspaper and look at that instead during the extended or maybe sit. Maybe the answer is don't bring them in because that's what's causing the extended and sit. sit. Yeah, Do you maybe notice? So, yeah. Fellas tend to go to the loo with yeah. their phones. Yeah, Women yeah. generally don't. They keep moving, yeah. We talk about the important issues of yeah. the day here. Yeah. <laughs> So what's the problem again? Oh yeah, silicone on the door, is yes. it? silicone on the glass. Yeah, look, the only thing that removes silicone is silicone seed remover and all the major brands of manufacturers of silicone and all that, they all do silicone seed remover. So if it's only a smear, then just brush on the silicone seed remover, leave it 20 minutes and then rub it off and make sure kitchen roll or an old towel or something and dry it completely to make sure it's completely gone. Um, but if there's major lumps there, if ever you wanted to remove a large piece, a large lump of silicone, a large strip of silicone, what you would do is get a bohemian blade and cut away or scrape away as much as you can because these bottles of silicone seal remover, even though they might come in a large enough box, they have, it's, it's obviously, well, it's expensive stuff, so they, they, produce, they have it in very small amounts. So there might only be 100 mil of uh, 100 millilitres of silicone seal remover in the, in the container when you take it out of the box. And that doesn't go that far. So if there's a, lar- a large amount, physically remove as much as you can and then take the last bit off with the silicone seal remover. 
A listener in Crinkle asks, what should I use to loosen the soot in the chimney before sweeping? We have a Stanley cooker. Yeah, so we would always say to people, a lot of chimney sweeps now say to people to either use blue stone or better still hotspot or even better again comate or if it's a major problem use the chimney cleaning log just because it does it very very quickly so we've had people come in where the chimney sweeps are saying I'm coming to you next Tuesday would you please burn a chimney cleaning log the day before I come or the night before I come so that everything will be drier and looser and much easier to clean so by doing that they, they, the householder gets a better, a much cleaner chimney and the work of the, the chimney sweep is easier. So it's, it, it works for both people because they will do a much better job if the sticky tar is now bone dry and powdery and crumbly because that's what it does. So it's either burn hotspot bluestone comate every day, two or three times a day, for a week before the chimney sweeper, before you're going to clean the chimney or else the chimney cleaning log. It makes no difference which one you use. Okay. Uh, next question. The whirlpool jacuzzi bath that we don't use nearly as often as we should has started to smell. What would clean it out? And how? How, how do you get whatever solution into it? Yeah, so the the... Jacuzzi bath has a, a kind of a well in underneath that that allows that the, the water that's in the well is pumped up mm. into the bath itself. But the problem is, if you have a bath, all your, you know, dead skin and whatever uh, floats around in the bath and uh, ends up in the bottom of this little well at the bottom. Um, and then if it's sitting there, it's fine if it's been used on a regular basis, but if it's not being used, it goes very smelly. It goes mouldy and dirty and bacteria grows and it's not a nice thought that you would get into this bath and turn it on again and have all this. I'm, I'm actually shivery as I'm saying it to you. The thought of it's horrible. So what I would do is get either a bottle of Milton or a generic bottle of Milton sterilising fluid and just cover the jet. Put in water to just cover the jets and then put in the Milton and turn it on. And what I would do is do that today, do it this morning, do it tonight, mm. do it tomorrow. It doesn't have to be hot water, just cold water, but keep that, keep turning it on again, just for five minutes, just to get it back in through the system and then turn it off again, then turn it on again and do that for two or three times a day for the next two or three days and everything will be clean then and then you can just pull the plug and let it run through again. Do... People still install jacuzzi baths, or I were never, they just a Celtic tiger? I think they fad? were just a fad that blew up in the Celtic tiger, like gold taps in the bathroom yeah. and all sorts of things like this. Like people that install, well, of course, they installed bars in their houses back then, and then they stopped being fashionable. And then COVID came, and yeah. everybody put bars back in their houses again. Uh, ancient Molly has sent a text. I wonder if she's anything <laughs> to hairy Molly. Anyway, Ancient Molly says, my dog licks my face every morning and I haven't had a cold in years and I haven't been to the doctor in 20 years. I doubt it's related, Molly. I'm sorry. I can't see that being related. Except, except the dog licking your face, if you like it, Mm. will make you so happy that, you know, if you're happy, you, you, you will probably deal with life better. Perhaps. 
perhaps that's the solution. Um, but in that case, just smile. Don't have the dog <laughs> lick your face. We're not making recommendations. This is purely no, passing is on anecdotal c- feedback from correct, others. Correct. Any uh, suing or litigation should be directed to Clunan's Hardware, <laughs> William Street in Tullamore, where you will find Brian Clunan between now and 20 past 10 next Wednesday. Thanks, Brian. You won't find him there between now and oh, between now and 20 past 10, you will. Yes, Sorry. yes. even overnight. Cheers. Love the Midlands. Love Midlands 103. So, yes, a... Gibbon, born in Dublin Zoo, and they haven't got a name for it yet. Now, still on the agenda today, meet the professor who has found the way to a healthy brain in later life. That secret revealed in around 20 minutes' time. Also, get at and Peter Dunn from Mullingar from Breakfast on Midlands 103, gearing up for the half marathon in March and full marathon in Manchester in April follow his progress and that of what is becoming a rather large family of runners. That's also this hour. Of late, you've heard, unfortunately, of some setbacks in business. Better buys in Mullingar, um, being one of the more recent. Also, Corner House Bistro in Athlone, the Soap Sisters in Portlaoise, and perhaps biggest in number, although a final figure for job losses has not been published, PPD in Athlone. In its depot, I should stress, the research positions, the company says it is committed to maintaining and even growing. But nevertheless, where the small businesses are concerned, we've heard some common complaints. One, the 12% increase in the minimum wage. Two, the forthcoming introduction of auto-enrolment for pensions. That's about 5% for uh, staff costs. Then increased sick leave. And there are others that perhaps anyone in isolation, businesses say they could absorb, but when they're sequenced so close together, it has pushed them to the edge. Hospitality has a particular challenge because of the change in the VAT rate. So is there a government response needed and deserved? Or is there some element of natural selection in this? Survival of the fittest. Peter Burke is a junior minister based in Mullingar. He's a Fine Gael TD for Longford Westmeath. Minister, good morning. Good morning, Will, and good morning to your listeners. Does it deserve a policy response? Absolutely, and the first response we're doing is currently in the first quarter of this year we will be paying out an increased cost of doing business grant, which is going to give a 50% rebate on the rates that a business pays. And we want that to be quick and efficient in terms that gives cash flow into businesses quickly. And the second response is we're currently doing a review in conjunction with the Department of Enterprise and the Department of Social Protection to assess the accumulative cost of all these measures because government is aware that businesses are bearing the brunt of this cost. And we want to see is there a potential possibility of tweaking the time and sequence of some of them. So we're working on that at the moment. That review should be out uh, in the next few weeks. But the critical point here is that It is a government's prerogative to raise the expectations uh, in terms of the lifestyle that employees that are on a very vulnerable wage level can have and to try and improve uh, their lives. And that's what the government is trying to do, trying to give them uh, real security in employment. And the low pay commission was very much to the forefront 
in adjudicating on a lot of those increases. And I would point out that they were supported right across uh, the political uh, spectrum. But the case being made by businesses is that while it may be laudable and, and noble even to raise the minimum wage, it does create expectations further up the chain where the delta that more experienced staff, uh, middle managers and so on, those higher grades, that delta is reduced because the minimum wage has increased by 12% and companies may not be able to increase everybody by 12%. So do you appreciate it's a knock-on effect rather than just a 12% for the lower grades? Absolutely, and I fully accept that argument. And that's why we're trying to assess the cumulative effect of a number of changes that have taken place. And the government will do that, <clears throat> and it will do that quite quickly. And I know as someone who worked in business for over a decade as a, an accountant through a very difficult time, an environment whereby we were shedding massive amount of jobs every single week. <clears throat> we're in a position now where we're in a country where we have full employment and we're trying to get more jobs into the economy because there's many businesses who ring me every single week and say, Peter, I can't get employees to work. We really need to get more people in through the permit system into work in our economy. But as you quite rightly pointed out in the introduction, hospitality is one of the vulnerable sectors. And I would point out that the track record right through COVID from this government put billions of euro into businesses that we could park them in life support and then take out the jump leads when our economy opened up again. And government is very clear. We will be standing by businesses. We will make changes if necessary. But the other point is, Will, too, that the government can't cushion every single blow. So there are going to be some businesses that are not viable that will struggle. And the other critical thing is that we're trying to get a resolve on a deal in relation to debt warehousing for taxation payments over the uh, period of the pandemic. I know they're fall due now for repayment. We're looking at see how we can schedule that and put it further, a further horizon on it, again, to support cash flow. Yes. You've preempted my next question because when you referred earlier to looking at the sequence and maybe tweaking uh, the timing of many of these changes, some of them have already kicked in, such as minimum wage, such as the change in the hospitality VAT rate. What levers do you have left apart from debt warehousing and deferring that, as you've just indicated? So there's three main areas we'll be looking at. In the first instance, I would think that auto-enrolment, obviously the horizon is quarter four, the end of the year, and where that kicks in. I think we will have to have a real look at that to see is there any changes potentially that we could make if businesses are struggling and still struggling uh, through the year. Secondly, obviously, in terms of our grant aid, we have... uh, to wait and see what will the effect of the payment that we're going to make in the rates refund, which will be hitting businesses right over the first quarter of this year. And hopefully that will help with some of the costs, help absorb some of the costs. And thirdly, I think in relation to, as you mentioned, the debt warehousing, I do think some businesses that have been under real pressure, uh, that have been vulnerable over the pandemic period, are really finding it difficult to repay that debt because many of them who are applying for government grants require tax clearance certificates, so we want to make sure that the passageway is smooth, that even if you do owe a debt of tax and you're trying to repay it and are committed to repaying it into the future, and want to continue trading, that you can access government supports as well and we'll be able to get a tax clearance certificate. Danny McCoy of IBEC, which represents uh, many small and medium businesses, as well as some of the larger ones, he's asked for a freeze on the minimum wage, not a decrease, but just to defer further increases for a time. 
Would you be inclined to support that or would you think the next review should take place uh, by the end of the year as it always does? Yeah, I think the low pay commission is set up by the government to judge all these things. It has a remit, first of all, to judge its key area, which is employees, how the economy is doing and how the level of wages are compared to other you know, points in the economy like inflation. Because you know, when we're saying we shouldn't uh, increase the minimum wage, we have to be very cognizant of people who are expecting to work in low-paid jobs right across our economy. And if we're asking them to hold that level of wage, notwithstanding how much our inflation has risen over the last two years, they're going to be worse off every year. So we have to try and keep all boats as level as we can. And it's very difficult to do that. But I wouldn't think we should have a freeze. I think we should have an assessment, a fair assessment of how the economy is at. And then even notwithstanding the low pay commission will make a recommendation, it's up to government to decide. We have to weigh up all the competing interests and make a decision then based on how businesses are doing at that point in time. And that's why it will be key to see when these supports kick in through the year, will businesses still be under the significant amount of pressure that they are now? Well, the inflation for the year ahead, it's obviously a forecast. I've seen figures from 2 to 3% being mentioned. So if there was another review by the Low Pay Commission and it went further than the 2 to 3%, would that be knocked back? Well, I think we'd have to be very careful in how we'd assess that. And I've met many businesses, you've referred to some of them there, uh, right across the Midlands who are under real pressure. And I fully accept their point because... I have the lived experiences of working in that sector. I know in a very different time when our economy was contracting every week and job losses were very much at the forefront, but still we really never, ever take businesses for granted. I never take jobs for granted, and we will do everything we can to try and stand by business in this very difficult time because I know many of them are very frustrated at the moment and I've spoke to many businesses. I've heard what they have said, and in our first parliamentary party meeting, our special one before the Dáil term started back, I raised this with the Taoiseach in the presence of my parliamentary colleagues and pointed out that cumulative effect. We have to be so aware it's not just one issue. It is minimum wage, it's sick pay, it's trying to grapple with auto-enrolment, as well as all the other costs of energy that are still in the economy. It has been mentioned by more than a few business people on this programme that perhaps the multinational sector has too much influence on policy and multinationals, particularly in tech, are operating with significant margins and can afford to absorb many of these increases in a way that small businesses cannot. How would you argue that small business has an effective voice at the Cabinet table? Well, I think in response to that, I would say in the first formulation of our cost of doing business is grants, we have locked out the multinational industry for it. So we've ensured that anyone who has a huge rate base doesn't benefit from the grant at all. But 85% of businesses who act commercially will, and they're predominantly made up of your small businesses. So government always, through Enterprise Ireland, through our local enterprise offices and each of the local authorities, really value what businesses do because we know our small businesses, our family businesses, they're the backbone of the economy. They're contributing so much to what we do. We never take the multinational sector for granted either because obviously, and you'll know, Will, that there are many people, there be, be it driving up to Intel or many other um, major institutions almost in this country at the moment, are the envy of many of our European colleagues that we can hold that significant mass of employment here and hold it so solidly. And we have to really work to continue that. But we will never take our small businesses for granted. And that's why we have a ministry dedicated through them and Minister Richmond to ensure that their voice is heard. 
Peter Burke, Junior Minister at uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs, actually. Um, but nevertheless, given your background in business, we're grateful for you taking the time to talk to us on this issue today. He's also a Finnegale TD in Longford, Westmeath. Coming up on 18 minutes past 11, still on the agenda today, better brain health in later life. A professor has studied this area extensively and believes there are some very simple steps you can take, which she shall share very soon. And if you're part of the Couch to Marathon effort by Midlands 103's Peter Dunn, you'll know he's had several setbacks over the last couple of weeks. He's not alone, by the way. I've tried in solidarity to go running with him and the hip is not as cooperative as it used to be. And thanks to Cahill Egan for his very patient physio on that. We'll catch up with all the crew very soon. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Regarding the cost of voluntary health insurance and the VHI is going up by 7% in its third increase in the space of a year, Anne has sent the following via midlands103.com and she says, after making your claim, if you read the invoice, the fees charged are beyond belief. She knows of somebody who was paying €1,000 a day and also for a daycare procedure, again, €1,000, plus um, also the consultant being paid, uh, the various staff being paid, and she's wondering if they're being paid both by the health insurer and by the public system. That's a good question. Are they earning twice? And she says the consultants in the hospital have staff going around the wards, actively getting people to sign the insurance forms in public hospitals and staff would be in trouble if they did not actively do this. And the whole hospital insurance system needs to be investigated, she says. So thank you for that. We will uh, give it more attention. I certainly feel it does. If you are a private patient in a public hospital, are you getting value for your health insurance cover? Or are you simply getting what you would be entitled to under the public system anyway? Answers, please. And you can keep them anonymous if you wish on 083 30 10 103, text or WhatsApp. When we get older, and it is an inevitable part of life, unfortunately, growing old and a privilege that not everybody gets to enjoy, keeping your brain as healthy as possible is a dilemma. What do you do? Because you know physically it's a case of use it or lose it and many people go to the gym and they will lift weights or they will partake in flexibility training. But what is the brain equivalent of that? Well, I want you to meet Anne Corbett, who is a professor of dementia research at the University of Exeter. Anne, good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. Tell us about your new study. Sure. So I work in the field of brain health and what we can do to reduce our risk of dementia as we get older. And I run a very large national ageing cohort of people over 40, and we follow them over time to see how their brains are ageing. We conduct really sensitive computerised tests of how their brains are working, things like their memory, their problem solving, their language. And a medical student came to me recently and asked, can we ask people about their music history, how they've engaged with music, does it affect how their brains are working? Mm. I thought this was really 
Interesting. So we asked the cohort about instruments they've played in their life, how they've engaged with music, and we compared that information with that very sensitive brain function data that we hold. And what we saw is that people who have played musical instruments in the past have actually better memory and problem-solving ability when they're older. How much better? Well, statistically significantly better, which means that it didn't happen by chance. It means this is a real effect. And did the type of instrument make any difference? It did. When we looked closer at the data, we saw that people who reported playing a keyboard instrument, so the piano, did noticeably better in both those memory and problem-solving areas. People who've played woodwind and brass instruments seem to be a bit better with their memory. And people who have engaged with singing, so in choirs, for example, had better problem-solving ability. Mm. So it does there is a little bit of a difference with different uh, instruments. So what would you infer from that? I think really what we're seeing is overall learning to play a musical instrument, learning to read music is a fantastic way of challenging the brain. When we're young, if we introduce the brain to new complex ideas in a similar way to learning a second language, we're making more connections in the brain. It's a more complicated organ and therefore it's better protected later on. In terms of the different instruments, I think it's a really interesting finding. I'd like to look into it a bit more. I suspect that people who play the piano are just engaging more parts of their brain. Mm. So they have to control both hands in different ways. They're having to use their memory. They're having to learn to read the music. So it's just really challenging the brain in a bigger way than maybe some of the other instruments might yes. be. Yes, you have to be a bit more agile to pull it off, I suppose. Yes, indeed. I'm 42 years of age and unfortunately haven't got a lick of talent when it comes to a musical instrument. I'm wondering, is it too late to start? So we didn't ask the question about people who took up instruments later in life, so I can't say for certain. That said, it's an interesting way of challenging the brain. We know that training the brain and exercising it as we get older is a really important way of protecting it against dementia later on. So, you know, if you're interested and you're keen, it's a it's a fantastic thing to take up. It could well benefit you. That said, if you want to follow the evidence and you want to protect your brain from dementia in the best possible way, then the best evidence is around evidence-based brain training games like we have on our Protect cohort, physical exercise like you mentioned earlier, um, maintaining a healthy weight, mm. managing risky medical conditions as well. Those are where the best evidence is for reducing your risk of dementia in later life. So even if you're not musically minded, you can apply the principles of this in other ways. Absolutely, yes. And that's so important. I think dementia is something a lot of us fear. And if there are things we can do in our day-to-day -day life to help protect the brain, then I think it's important that people know about them. Dementia has many forms. It's a term for an umbrella of, of, of conditions. Alzheimer's, for instance, is associated with the formation of plaques and vascular can be more to do with blood flow. Does this study distinguish between the types of dementia that, it, uh, that music may protect against? You're absolutely right. There are many different forms of dementia, but no, that isn't a question we asked. And that's because we were looking in healthy older adults and looking at how their brain function was working. Um, we, we are looking at very, very subtle early changes mm. way before you'd get to a diagnosis of a specific type of dementia. So where do you take your study next? How can this research be built upon? 
I think there are some really interesting questions around this music concept that we have yet to delve into. I think some of exactly why we're seeing what we're seeing is an interesting question. I think looking at people who have taken up instruments later in life would be interesting, as well as delving into the different instruments. Um, but our Protect cohort is much broader than just this study, and we continue to look at multiple different factors and how they affect the aging of our brain, as well as conducting things like clinical trials. So if people are keen to be involved in this, they are welcome to join the Protect study. It remains open. It's online. You can do it from home and we'd love to see you join. Well, certainly there are a lot of interested listeners and they've asked good questions here, such as, for instance, if you're playing music and it produces a relaxing effect, could that be influencing the outcome um, later in life, if your maybe blood pressure is lowered as a result, there are others asking then, does the type of music and the complexity of it perhaps make a difference? Any thoughts? And these are all good questions and ones that we'd like to start to, to look into further down the line after this initial study. I think what we know is that music is incredibly powerful for for everyone we see such an amazing effects when you play music for people who have dementia already and they suddenly sort of engage and recruit back these areas of the brain that weren't active before music's important for well-being it is relaxing and all of those things come together to improve our health and i think what's interesting from a research perspective is how we can start to pull apart all those different threads and really understand what's going on Anne Corbett, Professor of Dementia Research at the University of Exeter. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Average temperature around the Midlands this morning, it is nine degrees. Whatever the weather, the local people that you can depend on to keep you warm are Flynn Fuels. Delivering throughout the Midlands every day. 1-800-359-667. Yesterday we discussed the, the objections of some to large headstones, monument-sized headstones being erected in cemeteries across the Midlands. And we also heard from Pave Point, representing traveller interests and why many in that community might wish to commemorate their loved ones in such a way. To tie up a few loose ends and texts that came in and indeed emails, in this case from Terry, studio at midlands103.com, she says, isn't the important thing how you treat people when they are alive? not how a grave looks after they die. That is, of course, absolutely valid and rational, but sometimes we uh, take very much uh, more interest in a person after they're gone and we miss the opportunity to celebrate them when they're alive. Think of all the I love yous that went on said and the pain that causes. Another listener, Joan, Joan says, I was listening and thinking about those large headstones. And I would just love to know where the money comes from. And shouldn't that be investigated if some of these people are not working or not declaring? The money doesn't just fall out of the sky. And when you consider, in the case of Ballinasloe and the crane that was drafted in under the cloak of darkness to hoist building materials over the wall into the cemetery, that cost a pretty penny. Not to mention the work that was done and the materials themselves. But the crane does not come cheap. Anyway, thank you for that. Back to the music and the effect on the brain. Paul in Tullamore says, My friend's sister is a musical therapist and musical therapy is good. It is 
absolutely and perhaps underappreciated and we're discovering in more recent years mindfulness and the benefits of it. And a final text pointing out the contrast of Ireland 40 years ago and the Ireland of today. That this programme was a microcosm for that at half past nine when we remembered Anne Lovett with one of her childhood friends and in the next conversation spoke with James McInerney from Leash who, as he describes himself, is a queer man with Tourette's syndrome living out his experience through makeup artistry in London. So the contrast could not be more stark as to how the country has changed. Now, just after half past 11, if you have a concern about dementia, if you're the loved one of somebody whose behaviour is changing, well, stay listening. We've some support next. Who picks the music we play on Midlands 103? You do. Tell us what you want to hear and listen out for the Listener's Choice Triple Play. After news on the afternoon show and drive time with Gaylord Motors, Dublin Road, Edenderry, your award-winning main Kia dealer in the Midlands. Open Monday to Saturday for sales and servicing of all makes and types of cars. Gaylordmotors.ie. Next Triple Play starts in 20 minutes. So, couch to marathon in just 18 weeks. Last week on Get Active... Peter Dunn from The Breakfast Show was told no running for a week. And finally, that week is up. So let's find out how he got on. Get active with Midlands 183. Powered by HearMed Healthcare in the heart of Tullamore. Here when you need us. HearMed.ie So following my cycle last week, my half marathon cycle. Ah, well, it's something anyways. This week was all about getting back to the running and I'm so excited by it. But before I do that, I have to pay a visit to Colleague in Physio Central to get an assessment of uh, how the calf muscle is doing. So I'm back in here with Cahill in uh, Physio Central and the hope is today that uh, I'll get back out and about running hopefully yep. um, so the, the calf muscle feels uh, feels much better Carl. it feels much stronger the back feels better but I am getting a little bit of pain um, just uh, below the knee and towards the left hand side so uh, is that usual or unusual to get? It's not unusual to have some kind of pain elsewhere um, they're saying the, the calves kind of insert around the back of the knee towards the inside um, so we'll keep an eye on that for now but I wouldn't be getting overly concerned we will keep going with the plan and we'll kind of monitor that uh, as we go so today we're just going to reassess um, from last week this day last week so the stuff that was causing you trouble last week that I've, I've written down there in the notes were your, your single leg calf raises you were, you were getting pain at, at one two three yeah. repetitions um, you're quite tight on, on your stretching and yeah they're, they're the main things we want to look at so earlier I had my consultation with a colleague and uh, he's written down what I need to do. So I need to do a kilometre at six minutes per kilometre run and then rest for two minutes. And I have to do that six to eight times. And I have to do this run twice this week. And as well as that, I have to do a five minute walk to warm up and a five minute walk to cool down um, it's absolutely lashing raining out and I'm excited to get out because I haven't been able to get out on the roads for um, for over a week for nine days I haven't been able to uh, to run so please God 
the leg holds up, please, please, God, I will be a happy person if uh, if that happens. But um, right in the meantime, let's go. And where down we? Nope. No joy. Back to square one. My problem was where almost where the the calf muscle meets the knee at the back of your leg. And just a little presence, something there. And uh, I ran the kilometer, stopped, and I walked for two minutes. Uh, Attempted the next kilometer and didn't get that far. Now the pain just increased and increased and increased. So I walked for another little bit and said, I'll keep running, see how we go. And then the pain in the calf muscle came back. I am actually on the floor in terms of confidence, motivation. Ah, it's just so ah, deflating. Absolutely deflating. I'm doubting myself, I'm doubting this whole program, I'm doubting if I'll even make it to the half marathon at this stage. It's just, oh, it's just really, really, really frustrating. So if you're out and about during the week and you've seen some guy dressed like he should be running, but he was walking with his head hanging in shame, that was me. I just have no motivation, to be honest with you. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I was really, really despondent by the whole thing, but all you can do is chin up, head up, and keep going. So that's exactly what I did, and I hit the gym after that. Back in the gym, and I did about just under an hour of cardio, and I started on some core workouts, muscle workouts. So um, I'm just trying to go about everything the right way and uh, I uh, I feel good I feel, I feel a, little, a little bit more optimistic than uh, than yesterday definitely um, yesterday I had a feeling like I don't know if I'm actually going to do this am I actually going to get through this am I going to make an idiot of myself but now today I'm a little bit more optimistic <laughs> As part of this Get Active journey, I want to dig into the minds of people who run marathons on a regular basis, why they do it, how they do it, what's involved. And I was delighted to be able to chat with Shane Dunphy. Shane is from Tullamore and doesn't only run marathons, he runs ultra marathons. So I had to ask Shane, what was the furthest distance he ever ran? 100k. The Trali 100k ultra. 100k in one? In, in one, one, yeah. Oh, God. You had 15 hours to finish it. 15 Or hours. they took you off the course. So you had checkpoints each section. So you start off at six in the morning. And I had a crew with me. I had my wife Brenda with me and another runner that uh, has ran marathons. But he wants to do this the year after himself. So he said, I'll go along and see what this is like. So they're constantly driving along behind you. Feeding you, basically. Right. Is what it is. Um, you have your route. You have different checkpoints to get to. So you have to be at one checkpoint, say, after an hour. 
and if you're not they'll be okay about it but if you miss two checkpoints they can take you off the course so if you're four or five minutes behind when you hit your second checkpoint you're going to get further and further behind by the third one right. the fourth one and next thing you're just you're not going to make it so, so you have to reach certain points in order to stay in the race yeah at certain times wow yeah. so you'll have a checkpoint so you, you'll, you'll know from your training and the layout of the course right I need to be at checkpoint one maybe in 45 minutes mm. the next one then maybe in two and a half hour mark things like this but they can take you off if you miss them they can, a, a relief car will just come along and just say in you go your DNF did not finish wow yeah that's a, that, and as as the race goes on you're coming back around you're seeing all the runners again and sometimes the, the course is getting really depleted what's it like when you cross the finish line what's the feeling like when you see everybody there and you're with the group of people you spend most of that day with you're, you're thinking right just, just get to the line just need to get to the line but then it's like this feeling comes over you thinking right this is 100k we're about to cross the line on and you stop and once you stop everything begins to hurt because you're not moving anymore <laughs> I get you but then people are coming around they're hugging you and high-fiving you and all this and it's that little euphoria yeah it, it, it's brilliant but then you'd step back and I just sat on the curb and I just said just I needed just a couple of minutes for myself yeah and then you realise what you're after doing wow yeah and it's, it is it's a great feeling yeah, yeah. It's a great feeling. To hear a longer version of my chat with Shane, check out the podcast section on midlands103.com or wherever you get your podcast. Just type in Get Active with Midlands 103. Just leaving the gym now. I feel really good. <laughs> this week has just been ups and downs. My goodness. But I'm reluctant to say I feel good because... Um, I've been stung before, so I um, uh, I managed to do 40, 40 minutes on the cross trainer because the cross trainer I figured kind of emulates running more than anything, but just doesn't um, doesn't have you pound in the ground, obviously. But you're still moving your your legs and your hips and your arms, so you're bending the knees as well. So I just thought I'd, I'd give that a whack, and I felt really really good doing it. And uh, my calf feels like it's had to get a nice little stretch. So um, uh, I decided to go for a brisk kind of uh, seven kilometer an hour walk on the treadmill for five minutes, see how we go. And yeah, all good. So hopefully the work I'm putting in is, uh, is really helping. In the last 24 hours, I've been wearing compression socks um, I started taking a Churmic uh, supplement for um, inflamed muscles. It's an anti-inflammatory. And uh, I have an appointment with uh, the online doctor later on. We'll see how that goes as well. And uh, I just, to be honest with you, I just want to throw the kitchen sink at it. So... Uh, uh, let's see how we go. Going to rest now. Tomorrow's Friday. Going to rest Friday. Going to rest Saturday. And uh, I don't actually know what I'm going to do Sunday, but hopefully I'll I'll be able to do something. Look, we'll wait and see. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm just in the kitchen. 
Uh, I have my gear on and I'm getting ready to run. I'm really, really excited about this because I haven't been able to run. I've just been in the gym for the week and we're going to try out the leg after our disappointment on Tuesday. It's feeling good. It's feeling strong. And um, I'm actually a little bit nervous. So um, we'll we'll see how we go. Nope. No good. Got about got less than a kilometer into it, and uh, same thing again. Just a click and pain, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And. Uh, yeah, that's it. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, if I can't run one, how the hell am I going to run 42? Uh, so annoying. I don't know. I don't know what will happen. Um, at this moment in time, it's, uh, it's not good. Back to the drawing board. Back to square one again. Yeah, the joys, the ups and downs of it all. But there you go. And that's what I said I'd do on Get Active with Midlands 103. I'll uh, I'll let you come along on the journey and you'll see what it's like. The highs, the lows, the ups, the downs. But you know something? It's all for a good cause. It's all for Barristown Children's Charity. And we're looking for your donations. If you have anything, you can give. We've all gotten paid in January. So uh, if you have anything you can give, you can spare. It goes towards an absolutely incredible charity. They do great work for all the boys and girls all across the Midlands and all across the country as well. And what you experience going through marathon training is nothing compared to what they will have to go through and their families will have to go through. So uh, that's why we want everybody in the Midlands to show your appreciation and give generously if you can it would be great go on to midlands103.com and click on get active with Midlands 103 it'll take you to our I donate page and if you donate at least 10 euro you will be entered into a draw to win a signed Manchester United jersey it was donated by the club themselves so if you can please 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 donate it would be absolutely brilliant and don't forget on our social media pages you can find the link as well if you want to donate it's at the top of our Facebook page and just click on that and it'll take you to our I donate link so if you can donate please do it would be absolutely amazing and we'll keep you up to date on all the progress here on Midlands 103 and the podcast section as well and every Wednesday on breakfast and on Midlands today Get active with Midlands 183 powered by HearMed Healthcare in the heart of Tullamore here when you need us hearmed.ie I suspect the cold weather has a lot to answer for as well. Easier to injure yourself. So, according to Cahill in Physio Central, I have acute gluteal tendinopathy. Sore arse, in other words. So I've been down on the floor stretching while you were listening to that. And the stretching shall continue tomorrow and the day after. And hopefully I'll chat to you tomorrow morning from nine. Take care. Bye-bye. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.